Bubba was a cross between an Australian shepherd and an Australian blue healer. Bubba was a very dear friend. Wherever I went on the ranch, Bubba was right with me. I couldn't open the back door of the ranch house without Bubba stopping whatever else he was doing and come running to be with me. One day, we went out to look at the sheep. And while we were feeding the sheep, I noticed way off in the distance, one of the sheep had not come in with the rest of the other. I pointed at that one sheep and I said, Bubba, go find out what's wrong. Bubba went running across the field and got over to the sheep who was lying down and he could not get the sheep up. So I walked out and found out that it was greenback, one of my prize ewes. So I grabbed greenback and I lifted her up and everything was fine. She went running to be with the other sheep. We called her greenback because she was such a very fervent eater. She would often step inside of the feeding trough and the alfalfa or lucerne hay would come down in the part in her wool and therefore she had a green back. Well, the next day, again, Bubba and I went out to feed the sheep and all the sheep came in except for greenback. And again, this time I sent Bubba out and he was not able to get green back up. So again, I walked out and I grabbed the wool around Greenback's neck and I grabbed the wool around her tail and lifted her up and the wool around her tail came loose. And I took a look at her tail and there were hundreds of maggots eating into her backbone. It was very, very sickly, very, very gross. And I have had others who said they would have put her down or destroyed her. But I really like Greenback. And she was one of my prize ewes. So I got a pair of tweezers. And I individually picked out every single one of those maggots. One after the other. And there were over a hundred. And then I had my son go and pick up some of the screwworm medicine that we would spray on a horse if they ever got hurt or cut in barbed wire. And the screwworm medicine would go on a wound and would keep the flies from laying their eggs in there again. Greenback recovered. She turned out to be an awesome you, an awesome. She would lay almost always have triplets, and she was a wonderful, wonderful mother. And I was so glad that I was able to save her and keep her from becoming sick or seriously injured. You see, all farms and agricultural nations, most all of them have a shepherd dog that they have bred up to help the shepherd to be able to assist in taking care of sheep. Sheep need help. Sheep need protection. Sheep need care. And these animals are in over 70 different breeds. Some of them are called Great Pyrenees, Blue Healers, Anatolian, Dutch, Shiloh, Belgium, Shetland, Australian Shepherds, Australian Blue Healers, even the Rottweiler 
was originally bred as a shepherd dog. These dogs all have certain things in common. They're very active and full of energy. They're also rated as some of the most intelligent of all dog kinds. You can summarize the nature of these shepherd breeds. And it is often said that they have the heart of a shepherd. It's been bred into them. Instinctive. A shepherd dog is remarkable in their energy, their intelligence, and their love to work. They have a nature in them that if there's a wound on an animal, they will lick at it to help heal it. They have a nature that is just beautiful, and it's instinctive. Now, in the Bible, an agricultural setting for most of the Bible, especially the Old Testament and even much of the New Testament, the duties of a shepherd were different than ours where we have fenced-in pastures. You see, the shepherd had a very difficult task in ancient Israel and also in many other countries now that are not fenced. He had to find out where the pasture was the best. He had to be able to know where it was so that he could lead his sheep to the pasture. And the sheep would follow because they had learned to trust the shepherd. The shepherd also not only looked for good pasture, but he also had to find where there was also water. And if there was not running water, he would dig troughs so the water would collect so the sheep could have water. And all day long, regardless of how hot it was or whatever the weather, the shepherd would be watching out over those sheep to make sure that none of them strayed. And if any one of them ever strayed, the shepherd would go out and find it. And in all my years of raising cattle and sheep, I've only had one animal ever, an ox in the ditch, and it was a sheep. The sheep was heavy with wool, it was wet, and somehow had rolled over on its side, and it was there with its feet kicking up, and it could not get back up. I just went out, and I picked it up, rolled it back on its feet, it just shook its wool, and then ran back to be with the flock. You see, lost sheep want to be found. They don't want to be on their own. They want to be with the rest of the flock. And if they are on their own, or even on the fringes, a good shepherd knows there's something really wrong with that sheep. Now in the Bible, there are many times that it talks about shepherds and sheep. It talks about it in words, and often the word, even referring to human beings, is the word pastor, or just actually the word shepherd. But a shepherd's work wasn't over by just watching the sheep during the day. He also had to lead the sheep back at night. And he would have the sheep come into a sheepfold, uh, fenced in, uh, usually wooden rails uh, area, and he would have a rod. And the sheep would one by one walk under that, and so the shepherd would count the sheep. But as a minister or pastor, you often can look at your congregation without consciously even doing so and you later on can recall who is there and who isn't there but a shepherd had so many they would count them 
And if there was one missing, they would go back and find it. But their work still wasn't done because all night long they had to make sure that the sheep were not stolen by some thief or that some wild animal might come. And sheep are very vulnerable to wild animals. They are basically defenseless. And the shepherd would have to watch all night long until the next day when they'd walk out and take the sheep back to the pasture. There are many scriptures, but let's turn to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 11. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 11. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. These sheep are the most amazing animals, but they need help. And Christ talks about himself or inspired the fact that he is a shepherd who even though he has a strong hand and rule with him, and yet he gathers his flock as a shepherd and even assisting little lambs who are just toddlers and even carrying them. And so, brethren, this attitude that is instinctive in a breed of animals around the world that are bred to be shepherds, dogs, helpers, this attitude of having the heart of a shepherd is what we're going to examine in this sermon. Now, I will take one moment to digress and mention that Mr. Debar Pardian heard me give this sermon at one feast years ago, and he asked me, he said that when you speak in Charlotte, please make this your very first sermon. And so Mr. Debar Pardian, who was a senior evangelist, who is now no longer with us, died in his mid-90s and was the director over the French work, was also one of my instructors back in 1965 at Ambassador College. I am fulfilling my promise to him, a man that I deeply loved and respected, a man who had great discernment and a great care and a man with a shepherd's heart. Now, when... The Feast of Tabernacles is picturing a time when human beings have gone through a very great tribulation. We know it's a time when Israel will have gone into slavery, and that is only those who have survived the sword or pestilence. And they're going to be a slaved people. And when God brings back that remnant of Israel, as he's promised that he would do, They're going to come back and abuse people, a people out of slavery, a wounded people, a people that the Bible talks about that are lame, that are blind, that are no longer able to hear, a people that are confused and afraid and scared and not knowing what is about to happen. And yet, those people are going to be met, as we read in Revelation 14, 
by the first fruits that are going to be with Jesus Christ when he returns. These individuals are going to be the very first fruit, the very first resurrection. Those individuals that had the heart of a shepherd. I will also mention at this time that I have given this sermon once and an elder in British Columbia, I believe it was uh, Barry Walker, uh, gave me this tie, which you may be able to see, after I gave this sermon. You may notice that down here there is one black sheep. There's always one sheep that needs a special help, and a shepherd has a heart to take care of the wounded, the abused. And for those who have developed the heart of the shepherd, we're going to need it in dealing with human beings that have come out of this great tribulation and are beginning into the millennium. We're going to need the very attitudes that are instinctive for shepherd sheep, but an attitude that we have to develop. So let's take a look, first of all, of Christ's example. Uh, we are all familiar with, I suppose, with Psalm 23. But let's just go back and briefly read it. In Psalm 23, verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still water. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. For his name's sake. Yes, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, in other words, facing death or injury, I will not fear no evil. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, a rod was a stick that was there with a hook on it to help pull out sheep if they were stuck in a hole. And it was a rod and staff used for protection, but also for helping. Your rod and your staff... They comfort me. You're not going to be hitting sheep on the head. You know, there are certain dogs you can get, and even children, that you raise your hand, and they have been hit, and they'll just flinch. A shepherd never hits a sheep. You can have a rod of iron that's never going to break, but that rod of iron is to protect and help and defend the sheep. And they comfort the sheep. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Brethren, that's a psalm that many have memorized. But it really clearly pictures that Jesus Christ is our shepherd and the heart that he has for providing food and water and protection and encouragement and support for me and for you. Let's now go to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 20. Hebrews chapter 13 and in verse 20, and we read now 
May the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. You see, Jesus Christ has the heart of a shepherd, and he is called that great shepherd. Let's now go to First Peter chapter 22. First Peter, excuse me, First Peter chapter 2 and verse 25. First Peter chapter 2 and in verse 25. For you were like sheep gone astray. And brethren, sheep sometimes do go astray. Even in our fenced pastures, sometimes they will, uh, the fence will break down. Sometimes uh, wild animals or animals will scare them and they will scatter. They have no defense. And they will be astray and lost. And they want to get back. As I said earlier, lost sheep want to be found. And so, as we continue reading, For they, we were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. That Jesus Christ cares for His sheep, the ones He's working with now, the ones that He's looked at, and we often wonder how it can be that God would have called us and there's something that God, our Father, as we read in John 6.33, that God sees something in the hearts of individuals that have been blinded and have just been dumb sheep, not knowing the truth, not knowing, in my case, whether even God existed, certainly not knowing what God's way of life was, let alone being attracted to it and then coming to love it. For it's a miracle when God opens our eyes. And then it's a miracle when God opens our hearts so we can really come to love God's ways and develop that very faith, that very assurance that the great shepherd is taking care of us and we can have a comfort that is beyond, as it says, a peace beyond understanding. Let's now go to chapter 5 and verse 4 in the same book, 1 Peter. Chapter 5 and in verse 4. And we could start in verse 2. Shepherd is talking about ministers who would have an attitude of a shepherd leadership. Not as dominating and beating people on the head and forcing them. Not manipulating them, not abusing them but as a shepherd of the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Verse 4, And when the chief shepherd... Now, take a look at that word. The chief shepherd indicates that there are other shepherds besides the chief shepherd. Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd. 
When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. So throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, we can clearly read that God uses the example of a shepherd. Let's now go to Psalm 78. Psalm 78, an example of being a good shepherd, an example for us in Psalm 78, verse 70. In verse 70, in Psalm 78, And he also chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. The sheepfolds were where he was watching sheep. He was a young man, the youngest, and he was given the arduous task of taking care of the sheep. He was given the responsibility that comes with taking care of the sheep. And yet, God saw something in his heart, in David's heart. He saw the heart of a shepherd. He took him from the sheepfolds, and following the ewes that had the young, he brought him to shepherd Jacob his people, and Israel his inheritance. And so he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart. And he guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. My children, a son and a daughter, were blessed to be raised on a farm as I was. And one ministerial conference was in February or March, and my flock of sheep were in what we call the lambing season. And it was in Spokane, Washington, and that could be bad weather at that time, and sure enough it was. It was cold, and it was frigid, and it was wet, and we even had snow. And I left my two children, who were, I believe, 10 and 12, in the care of an elderly couple. After the week, I came back, and the elderly couple was amazed. They said they'd never seen such young kids be so conscientious. You see, I had not had to instruct my children because they knew the responsibility of taking care of sheep. It's not like taking care of a truck or a tractor or a pickup that you can do it tomorrow if you feel like it or maybe the next day. You see, sheep have to be taken care of every day and lambs have to be taken care of even more closely, especially the sheep during the lambing season. My two children, who were 10 and 12, got up on staggered shifts every four hours. That meant that every two hours... One of those children were out there in the sheepfold watching the ewes, checking them to see if they were having difficulty delivering their lambs. And if they were having difficulty, those two children at 10 and 12 knew how to help deliver the lamb and how to unite the lamb with the mother. I, I was not surprised because they had been raised around animals and they had developed a sense of responsibility. And I assumed... But the elderly couple, they were amazed. Well, God looked down at David and saw the sense of responsibility, commitment, the shepherd's heart that David had. And God knew that that was excellent planning and excellent preparing for David. I won't turn to it for the sake of time, but 1 Samuel 16, 
uh, verse 10 and 11, uh, it gives a further example of how David came from raising sheep and the dangers he faced. Even with wild animals attacking him, he stood his ground and protected the sheep, as a shepherd with a shepherd's heart will do. You see, God watched David where he had placed him, and he saw something in him, which is also something for us to remember, that our Father is watching us to see how we do where God has placed us. I was talking to one minister one time uh, as we were driving around the M25 in London, and he was talking about a certain minister having an agenda. And it struck me that we do not have to be concerned about where God has placed us. We only need to be concerned about how well we're doing where God has placed us because that is what God is looking at, is to see how we're fulfilling the responsibilities we have been given where he has placed us. Because he knows that how we maintain our responsibilities, how diligently we are, how loyal we are, how faithful we are in growing and developing the very heart of Jesus Christ is something that God's well aware of. Now, let's go to Acts chapter 13, verse 22. In Acts chapter 13, in verse 22, And when he had removed him, Saul, who frankly did not have a shepherd's heart, and his position went to his head, in verse 22, And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as the king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. You see, God saw that David had a characteristic in him, in his heart, that it was a heart that wanted to be like Jesus Christ. It was a heart of a shepherd. I won't turn to it. I briefly mentioned it earlier. Revelation 5, verse 10, talks about how that we are going to be kings and priests, that we're going to be leaders, but also teachers of God's way of life. And those individuals who are going to be in that first resurrection are going to be individuals who have a heart, as David, that were after my own heart, after Christ's heart. And so... Let's now go to, and I think most of us are quite, quite aware of John chapter 21 and verse 17. When after Peter, who prided himself on being very loyal and very faithful and very uh, full of courage, courage, and after he had betrayed Christ those three times, and many think that it was only Judas who had betrayed Christ, but actually all the disciples did, and yet Christ was able to very pointedly get to Peter to teach him a lesson. And then the last words of John. Three times Christ asked John, or excuse me, asked Peter, Do you love my sheep? 
Do you really love my sheep? Twice he uses the word agape, which is a sacrificial love. Would you really give yourself in defense of these sheep? And then once he uses the word filio, which means my very, you know, and a very dear friend. He was pointing out three times something to Peter that he was going to have to be a shepherd and a leader with a shepherd's heart and not run when trouble came in the future. Now, brethren, there's the other side of this, and that is there are bad shepherds. Let's go to John chapter 10. John chapter 10 in verse, in verse 12. And this, this is sad. And for those of us, I've been now in the church 51 years. It's hard to believe, young guy like me. Uh, but it's sad. It's very, very sad. In verse 10, the thief does not come to, except to steal and to kill and to destroy. And he said, I've come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. What an awesome, awesome life. Not only have we been given the gift of life, but we have given a, been given a life with an awesome purpose. For we understand that in Christ revealed God the Father. The world had not known that he was the Father. The Jews did not know he was the Father. The Old Testament was not all that clear about him being Father. But Christ revealed God is an awesome Father who has an awesome plan for all mankind. And that the best gift that we could have been given was life. And not only just life, but a life with a real purpose and a life with a real meaning. God wants to see what we're going to do with it. And for those who really value and appreciate life, He's going to give us eternal life. But look what it says now in verse 11. And I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But look at verse 12 of John chapter 10. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care for the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and I am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, after over 50 years in the church, and decades in the ministry, through some turbulent times in the church, it's very, very sad when I have had dear friends, fellow ministers, uh, brothers in arms, and when a serious time came in the church, when those who were no longer being faithful to the commission that we had been given. And one minister, when he was asked by one very close to him, another fellow minister, and he said, what are we going to do? And the senior individual 
in responsibility, told the one very dear to him, What do you mean? What can we do? It's our job. There are other individuals who realize later on, and they did not compromise until another trial came to them. And they looked around, and they made a decision which went contrary to their previous dedication because they had a better retirement. There are another individuals who knew the truth and knew those who were compromising with doing the work. And as Mr. Armstrong said, there were two things you could really know besides obeying God. You can know someone's degree of conversion by their dedication and zeal for doing God's work. And you know that makes sense when you realize if you have the very heart of Jesus Christ, you're going to be zealous and care about what he cares about, doing the work of God. And the second thing that Mr. Armstrong said that, frankly, brethren, really helped me at a time when I was confused. And that is where they are teaching and practicing the government of God. You see, the whole gospel is about the kingdom of God. It's about rulership and God's family and in the millennium. The time that we're looking forward to. And we are here to learn not only what that government is, but coming to love it because it's a patriarchal government, a government from our father who cares for us and is and our elder brother who is a chief shepherd. It's an awesome government. It's an awesome way of life. And yet... I know of an individual who said, well, I've got to stay with my flock, my congregation. A shepherd doesn't follow his sheep. A shepherd leads his sheep. And so I have seen individuals who have made such a choice. And it has saddened and it has confused many who really were looking for a real leader to stand up and fill in the gap to stand up and lead them in God's way of life. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 56. Isaiah chapter 56 and in verse 10. His watchmen are blind. They're all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. Have you ever gone to someone's home And the big friendly dog is either asleep or doesn't even wake up. I mean, you could be a burglar and go into this home and they're just going to wag their tail and just not do their job. Whenever I go by a home and the dog is raising a ruckus and the owners come out and apologize, I, I said, no, no, don't apologize. The dog is just doing what he gets paid for. These individuals are like dumb dogs that cannot bark. Sleeping, lying down, loving slumber. Yes, they are greedy dogs. Oh, yes, they want to be fed. They want and never have enough. And they are shepherds who cannot understand. They all look to their own way. I've watched occasionally, one time, an individual who was a minister who had thousands of 
individuals following. And he was very popular on television and other places. And I heard him say that it wasn't his responsibility to warn his congregants or show them their sins or where they were going wrong. He said, they know that. It's my job to make them feel good. And by the way, we take MasterCard. Now, these individuals that God is talking about is an indictment. Everyone for his own gain, for his own territory. A very sad indictment against individuals who have not stood in the gap when it has come to compromising with God's clear way of life. Institute of marriage and other clear and simple lines and boundaries that they have just gone with the flow like a dead fish floating down the river because it's popular and we don't want to shake the boat. And God holds them responsible. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel chapter 34 and verse 2. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds. Now this is a straight prophecy about those who were the leaders in Israel. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherd feed the flock? You eat the fat and you close yourself with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost. But with force and cruelty you have ruled them. Verse 5, So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, because they became food. And they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the countries and lands and mountains and governments. And on every high hill, yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth. And no one was seeking or searching for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. And he goes on down in summary in verse 10. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I'm against the shepherds. And you can go on down to verse 11. Indeed, my, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out the flock on the day he is among the scattered sheep, so will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the peoples. And God is going to be doing this. And that's what these days in the Feast of Tabernacles are picturing. And we're going to be there helping. And the countries. And bring them to their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel. In the valleys and all the inhabitants of places. I will feed them in a good pasture. And their fold 
shall be on the high mountains of Israel, and they shall lie down in a good fold and feed in the rich pastures on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock. I will make them lie down. I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away and bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick. I will destroy the fat and the strong and feed those who feed in judgment. And it continues on. But go down and look at verse 23. I will establish one shepherd over them. And he shall feed them. My shepherd David. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I the Lord will be their God and my servant David. A prince among them. I the Lord have spoken. You could continue reading that chapter. But Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd. And David is going to be resurrected. And David is going to be over Israel. He's going to be the shepherd over Israel. And God is going to take the remnant of Israel and bring them back. And they are going to be a beaten people, confused, not knowing what is going on. Let's go now to Matthew 9 and verse 36. Matthew 9 and verse 36. In Matthew 9, in verse 36, <clears throat> Christ is, is talking here uh, in verse 37. But when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep with no shepherd. His heart went out to them. He cared. And he said to his disciples, The harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. God is looking for individuals that are not just hirelings, but for individuals that have the heart of a shepherd. Those individuals that really care for God's sheep. Those individuals that can be part of the team that Jesus Christ under David and eventually will cover the whole world with the truth of God and his way of life and bring back these scattered and broken people as a shepherd cares for his flock and his little lambs. Now there are seven traits or characteristics that a sheepdog goes through in becoming a good sheepdog. I would like to draw the parallel between becoming a good sheepdog and you and me developing the heart of a shepherd. First of all, even though they have it instinctive inside of them, a sheep puppy is just basically an undisciplined wild dog. Uh, they are basically useless. Uh, they may have an instinct to go herd, but they will go up to a cow and they will go to the nose of the cow rather than back at the heel. And if they go to the nose of the cow, they are going to really find pain because the cow can gore them, stomp on them. But when they are taught to go back to the heel and the animal kicks, the kick goes over the dog and they get along fine. And so they have to learn sometimes the hard way to govern their instincts. And so they have to be trained. Well, brethren, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, and we will notice something, that you and I were wild and useless before God started working with us. 
in regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood and dispensation, speaking evil of you. In other words, we were just running with the, the wild dogs, uh, humanly speaking, not that they were dogs, but just running, running wild, undisciplined in God's way of life, untrained. And let's go to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3. In chapter 2 and verse 3, in verse 3 of chapter 2 in Ephesians, it says, Among whom also we all conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, doing what seemed right to us. We didn't know any better, and we just did what felt good and what seemed right to us, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature... Children of wrath, just as the others. We weren't better than anybody else. We were just running amok. And to one degree or another, we were untrained, undisciplined in God's way of life, the same as these uh, little you know, puppies are. And then the second step is that they begin to learn a new way. You take a puppy, a shepherd dog, and you, you can actually pick the ones out. And my family always felt you should pick up the runt. I, I know that they, the phrase has uh, that uh, sometimes you're scraping the bottom of the barrel with certain individuals. But you know that's what glorifies God. When God can take the bottom of the barrel, when God can take the runt, and it's to God's glory to use the runt. Well, often... In dogs, you do choose to runt, and you find out that this runt has a heart to please, maybe more than the stronger or other dogs, puppies. So you take it, and you choose it out, and there's something you see in the nature of this dog that you can work with. So let's go to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13. Galatians chapter 5 and in verse 13. <clears throat> For you... Uh, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Uh, in verse 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Brethren, I remember what it was like not knowing whether God existed. And therefore, I had no standard except to protect the family's name. I wondered if there was a way of life. And God revealed to us that there is a way of life. And let's go uh, to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And the world is in ignorance. The world is deceived. But during these days, which are pictured in the millennium, the Feast of Tabernacles, there is coming a time when that Blinder will be no longer there. He'll be bound. But in Ephesians chapter 4, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, uh, For I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, having alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanliness with greediness, but you have not so learned Christ. 
You see, brethren, just as this puppy has to start learning simple commands, we start learning how to obey God. Number three, uh, you have to come to trust. You have to come to trust. I had another dog. His name was Vader. He was a solid black dog. and He was uh, half Rottweiler, which I mentioned earlier, um, is also a uh, shepherd breed. Even though we think of them as guard dogs, they were originally uh, used for shepherds and for guarding the flock. And I would, um, I remember one time I had him outside the barber shop and the barber said, no, bring your dog in. I said, no, he's an outside dog. He said, no, no, bring him in. I said, well, okay. And I sat in the barber chair. My leg was crossed and Vader, who weighed about 85 pounds, had his head underneath my uh, crossed leg. And I told the barber, I said, you know, I've, I've never seen a mean bone in his body. And I've often wondered what would happen if some ever attacked me. And the barber said, well, I spent 27 years in the police canine corps. And judging by how close that dog is to you, I wouldn't want to be anywhere around if someone attacked you. You see, it was in his nature to protect. It was in his nature. But one time I was walking with Vader, and he was very obedient. But uh, I didn't have him on a leash. And we're walking down a country road, and I saw a squirrel... And I knew that as soon as Vader saw the squirrel, he would go deaf. And he did. And he just went running after that squirrel. And I called him and he wasn't coming back. He just trailed that squirrel through a farmer's fence. And then the squirrel ran up a tree. Well, when I got to the fence, I turned 90 degrees. And I walked down about 100 meters. And then Vader uh, gets tired of chasing the squirrel up the tree. And he comes running diagonal across the field to intercept me. But there's a good fence there. And he tried to ask me to uh, lift him up over the fence, and I didn't. I just turned around, and I pointed back to the gate. He turned immediately and ran all the way back to the gate and then came back the proper way to me. I use that illustration as an example of repentance. But he had come to trust me and to follow my instructions. And that's what happens with a sheepdog. They do come to the place. Let's go to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6. He says uh, in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6, And as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted, built up in him, and established in the faith. Faith means trust. It means confidence. Uh, As you have been taught, abounding, Aboding uh, 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 in it with thanksgiving, so you, as we learn and as we prove God's way of life, we come to trust God's way of life. It's a process that we go through. It's similar to Abraham. I won't turn to it, but in Genesis chapter 22, God had been working with Abram and then Abraham, and He finally, in verse 22, He says three simple words. Now I know. Well, brethren, there's coming a day when Christ is going to look at you and me and say, now I know I can trust you. Now I know that you love my way. Now I know that you are developing the heart of a shepherd. The fourth step 
in a shepherd developing uh, usability is a delight in obedience. And they just want to please. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. And this, they just want to please. Uh, Ephesians chapter uh, 6 and verse 6 that we're exhorted here to not do things at, for eye service or as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. That we, we, we live God's way because we love it. We love it. Not because someone's forcing us or watching us, but we do it because we have proven in our lives this is the way and we trust God. We really have come to the place where we love. I remember on the farm always wanting to win my dad's approval. He would say, go out and, and hoe and weed ten rows, uh, and they were quite long, almost an eighth of a mile. Uh, by the time I get home, and I'd go out and do twenty. I did everything I could to win my dad's approval. And you know what, brethren? I didn't get it until I was over 60 years of age when my dad said, I'm really proud of you. And then I realized early on that the real validation that I was looking for wasn't coming from my physical father. And it wasn't from some other man or woman the real validation I wanted was from God. And I wanted Jesus Christ to look at me and say, now I know, well done. I really love you. And I've come to the period of time when you've tried and you've tested God. You could go to Psalm 40, verse 8. And I know God's way works. And I've proven it. Absolutely. Now, sometimes I know there's been times in my life when I've got down on my knees and I said, Father, how is this a good deal? I don't get it at the time, but I can tell you this. Looking back, I can see that he knew what he was doing. And I had one minister tell me, he's, he says, Stafford, I've never seen a man fall into an outhouse and come out smelling like a rose. Well, you know, brethren, that's what's going to happen. I just fully know that God is going to bless me. I know I'm going to learn some lessons, but I, don't, I just have total confidence. The same as a shepherd dog comes to totally trust its master. In Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is in my heart. When you really come to that place where you develop that trait like a shepherd dog where you just are right there all the time and that brings us very in a transition to the next step and that is the faithfulness and the desire to please is going to be tested with the hardest lesson that a sheep dog ever has to face and frankly brethren it's probably the hardest lesson that you and I have to face and that's to trust God's timing. Whenever I'd get in my truck, Bubba would run and jump in the back of the truck. He wanted to be where I was. One time I was taking the truck into town, and I came to a stop sign, and I drove on into town with several other stop signs, and I got into town, and Bubba wasn't there. 
I retraced my step and I could my drive and I could not find him. Ten days later, after me scouring the neighborhood and the whole countryside, finally he comes home. You see, he jumped out before it was time to jump out. He never did that again. I've seen members in God's church who think they know what God's doing and they jump the gun. So much so that I have a poster in my office that says, I could not wait for success, so I went ahead without it. You see, the hardest lesson for Bubba was to stay or sit when I'm out doing something. But there was a reason that he was not aware of. And so, brethren, that's the hardest lesson. Let's go to Psalm 112, verse 7. Psalm 112 and verse 7. You see, God has his timing. He knows what he's doing. I remember a lady who was one of my girlfriends. My wife gives me permission for girlfriends over 80. And she was well over 80. Her name was Granny Krautzer. And she told me this. She said, Mr. Stafford, if someone doesn't trust and believe that Jesus Christ can manage his church, they don't know Jesus Christ. Wow. God knows what he's doing. In, one, in Psalm 112, verse 7, He will not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He will not be afraid. See, God knows and has promised. In Ephesians 4, he promised in verse 11 through 15, he says that he established his ministry, and it tells you why. For the perfecting of the saints until we all come to the maturity of Jesus Christ. You see, our shepherd has made a commitment to us at baptism that he will never leave us or forsake us and that he has established his ministry. If we didn't need them, we wouldn't have them. But his true ministers who are loyal and faithful, continuing without compromise to do the work of God and also to continue to practice the government of God and to do God's work. And so you come to the place, let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. And brethren, when you come to the place, when you're under God's umbrella of protection, and I like to say that I like to hang on to God's pant leg, I don't want to move us, I don't want to get off. I don't want to get out of there. And if I ever find myself, I come running back. It's just the same as I've seen a young child holding on to his dad's leg. You want to stay close. You want God's protection. You want to be there. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. You know, when I got baptized 50-some years ago, I'd proven God, I'd proven this way of life, and I told God, I'm not a religious man. I wasn't going to spend my life bouncing around. They didn't have internet then, but still, I locked in. And I said, Father, 
I've proven you. I've proven this way of life. And I'm going to live this way until the day I die. I think what God looks for in those that are going to be in the first resurrection, who are going to be helping in the millennium, has to do with something with loyalty and commitment. The same as a shepherd dog. And so we read here in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, Therefore, be my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And so, brethren, number the next one is they come to accept discipline. Uh, Mr. Meredith has told me that you can tell someone's degree of conversion by how they accept correction. I have many stories, but I'm running out of time. But I have been really amazed at certain individuals when you give them corrections. And I had one individual who just told me this. Mr. Stafford, we deserve that bad reputation. What is it that we can do to change it? I was expecting, well, who told you that? Well, well, you don't know the rest of the story. But there was no justification. There was no explanation it was an accepting of direction. And a shepherd dog, most of them that are good, you look at, sometimes all you have to do is look at them. And they just say, oh, I'm sorry, I'll never do that again. Please love me. They, they don't have to be hit on the head with a 4 by 2 or a 2 by 4 They just want to please. And you can correct them and discipline the same as we read in Hebrews 12, verse 6, where God says he only... Chastens and disciplines the son he loves. And it's for our benefit. So that we can grow. So that we can learn. And so the final point is a shepherd dog is available for anything. It doesn't matter if it's in the rain or in the snow or in the heat. It makes no difference. If you ask them to do something, they're going to do it. It's kind of like the Boy Scout motto, Semper Paratus, always ready. I was joking with some of the teens in Brazil on the, uh, the Yammer Indians, and I was asking the, the girls, and they asked me, Mr. Stafford, are you ready uh, to get on the pickup or something? And I said, always ready. Uh, later on, we had a rest stop, and they got out, and uh, they were wandering around, and it was time to go. I said, ladies, are you ready to go? Mr. Stafford, we're always ready. Well, brethren, that's the way we should be. We should always be ready. Because we trust God. And we trust His work. I could turn to uh, Numbers chapter 13, verse 30, but I'll just relate the story. The rest of the Israelite spies came back and they had all these wonderful stories about how wonderful and awesome everything was going to be. But they had fear. Except for Caleb. And he said, basically, let us trust him fully. Let us follow him fearlessly. We are well able to overcome. Let's do it. Now, Nike, the great sports apparel, has a motto, just do it. But that's to appeal to the teenagers um, and to the youth who just can impulsively do something. Just do it. Well, just doing it can really get you in trouble. 
unless you've matured to the place where you've proven and you've proven all things and you know and you know and you know that you know what God's way of life is. And you have come to the confidence that it's, you don't have to be afraid. If God says it, you're going to do it. You're just going to do it. Like a shepherd dog, you come to that place where you've proven God's way of life. Now in Obadiah chapter 1, there's only one chapter in verse 21, it talks about the interesting word there. In Obadiah, it talks about the return of Christ. And it talks about shepherds or saviors, plural. You see, brethren, that Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd. And David is going to be over Israel. To start with, it's God's going to work with Israel as his first fruit. But Jesus Christ is returning with those first fruit that are mentioned in Revelation 14 that have the heart of the shepherd, that are going to be assisting the shepherd the same as a shepherd dog assists the shepherd. You see, a bad shepherd wants to get their way. A good shepherd wants to care and give. A bad shepherd is worrying about saving themselves. A good shepherd is more concerned about strengthening the weak and the sick and helping those that are lost. A bad shepherd will rule harshly and unforgiving. A good shepherd will gather and protect the sheep and will rule lovingly and lead gently and forgiving. A bad shepherd wants the best for themselves. A good shepherd will give the best to the sheep. So there is the psalm that could be rewritten, Psalm 23, and it could say something like this. They fed them. They fed them in green pastures. They led them to quiet and still waters. They provided shade and rest and renewal. They led them to safe and right places. They cared for their hurts and they salved their wounds. They disciplined them from their straying ways. Brethren, that's what's going to be said about us in the millennium and as those firstborn with Jesus Christ. Now, I, I will conclude by telling you a commercial that I saw on American television. The commercial showed a, it was a pickup truck ad, and there's a flock of sheep, and the pickup dries up, and now the, the shepherd opens the door, and the sheep goes, and the shepherd dog goes and rounds up the sheep. The way is quite common in parts of the world. And the shepherd drives the pickup to the top of the hill and he gets out of the pickup and he's sitting down and he's looking out over the sheep and he calls the sheep dog and the sheep dog comes and is sitting right beside him. And what's so cute about the ad is one of those sheep leaves the flock and follows the sheep dog and the three of them are sitting there looking out over the flock of sheep. You see, brethren, Jesus Christ is a chief shepherd. And David and others are going to be assisting him. But sitting right beside them are going to be sheep that have become shepherds.